carnivorous couch Shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours When we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film About which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Hey Brady, what are we calling this podcast? Um... We are calling this film by Rob. No, no I, I don't know. I think we should just have a segment know. where, you, you know when I'm walking around the house and I'm just saying crazy things, like, I'm like, let me get you some beer, beer, Brady, beer, Brady, beer, Brady, but, uh, hey, there's a bottle cap, there's, ow. Yeah, oh. yeah. Ow. And that. then you always latch on to something that I say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we open with that segment, which is Pillow you, Pillow. You getting the beer? Roy. Pillow, pillow, corduroy. <laughs> the name of the podcast should be "You Getting Me Beer." I can, <laughs> I can jive with that. Pillow, pillow, corduroy. Pillow, corduroy. Pillow. My Looks like your mic. Mike uh, had some performance anxiety. Wonder how I fixed that. Like a screwdriver. Is there one present? I don't know. Are we actually podcasting right now? Yes. Um, I I don't have a screwdriver. Okay. Um, I'll be right back. I could even go for just a straight glass of vodka without the orange juice, actually. Nice one. Thanks. Anyway, uh, tell them what movie we're doing and stuff while I go get a screwdriver so I can fix my impotent nightstand. Mic stand. All right. Well, while Rob is uh, fixing me a drink... Uh, we just watched Cool Hand Luke uh, from 1967, starring Paul Newman, uh, also starring George Kennedy, and a number of other people. Uh, it was my first time watching it. It was Rob's second time watching it, and his first time watching it when he wasn't getting his teeth drilled. Uh, yeah, and we will be discussing that, and I will be delving into some of the themes, uh, themes of martyrdom, themes of uh, rebellion, and the limitations thereof. So stay tuned, whoever that one of you is. And Rob's back. There's a lot of radio silence we'll be editing out. Oh, I am back. And, yeah, well, my girlfriend is asking me if eating chips in the next room would be okay. That's just an indicator of how great my girlfriend is. Okay, now my mic stand is not so impotent. Uh, Brady, what did you tell the people while we were gone? I just gave them a basic spiel about uh, what movie we watched. Uh, <laughs> and I let them know maybe a couple of the themes uh, that we'll be delving into, but I'm sure there are more. Uh, so themes? Rob, oh, yeah, themes. Uh, themes. Hey, by the way, we should put our phones on like silent so they don't ring. Oh, mine just buzzes. Oh, okay. Look at you, all professional and stuff. Yeah. Mine does the Super Mario 3 theme. Oh, by the way, just so anybody who ever listens game. to this, which I don't think anybody ever will, but um, no, no, A number one, um, you know how all the comedians are always talking about podcasts and they're always like, yeah, I said I'd call into this podcast yeah, and my absolutely. agent set it up. Um, and then when they call in, the guy's like, Hey, Mom, I'm doing a podcast. Stop bothering me. This is totally one of those podcasts. This is one of those podcasts. My mom, uh, I think, is drinking in the room above. Uh, so if you hear any yelling, you know what it is. 
What what would it be? My mom. Yelling at you? Not uh, or you yelling at your mom that you're doing a podcast and that she needs to be quiet. Uh, maybe a little from column A, a little from column B. <laughs> cursing the fates. Uh, I, I don't know what my mom's even doing here, but but you invited her. so <laughs> Did I? I thought, did you guys see a movie I'm not today? answerable. You're, Wait, did you, you and your mom see a movie today? Um, no, actually. We were going to see Blue Jasmine. We did not end up seeing that uh, because she found the idea of it wholly depressing. Oh, well, wait, why did it take you? Okay, so I was joyriding in my parents' Mustang, which is parked outside. And actually, I might periodically open the garage door in the middle of the podcast to make a lot of noise and check to make sure it's okay. Because uh, I live in Emeryville, but Emeryville's really close to Oakland. And it's a nice car that you could probably start with a screwdriver. So, oh, yeah, right. where I is that screwdriver? <laughs> screwdriver. Uh, you have beer. You're fine. I'm fine. Oh, by the way, this is a dry podcast. In fact, our target audience is all people in recovery. This is a horrible line of joking. Maybe I shouldn't go this direction. Brady's nodding, which you as the listener cannot hear unless he does this. Well, I'm, I have been practicing and I am confident that within a month I will be able to do it vigorously enough that you can hear it. I'm doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, um, yes, today I went to a meeting. So did you, because we both are in the same startup. And I'm Rob, by the way, Rob Whiting, although usually I refer to myself as Robert Vincent for entertainment purposes because it sounds better. Um, sorry. It does. That's <laughs> sorry, great grandpa Whiting and grandpa Whiting. Actually, you know, if my name, <laughs> if my, uh, my dad had actually kept his birth dad's name my name would be robert diamond which would be a totally better like fucking i would be a rock star by now yeah i can see that <laughs> but uh, every time uh, the name robert vincent is uttered and angel does a bump of coke <laughs> <laughs> yep and then i bumped my mic stand making horrible noise i'm gonna have to do something about this we're gonna have to get like little pedestal table mic stands so it's not like Ugh. ah oh brady buck Okay, I was totally doing all of that. Um, anyway. He comes from Vaudeville. <laughs> um, so we watched Cool Hand Luke. We did. Which I have seen before. I mentioned it. You saw it uh, under, I think, some heavy anesthesia. No. No anesthesia. You got your teeth drilled without anesthesia. Oh, wait, no, I had anesthesia. I okay. Had, well, it, well, but good. it wasn't a happy anesthesia. It was like, we're going to stick a ginormous needle into your gums. And then since you're a redhead, we're going to wait a while longer. And, yeah, because I have red hair. There's some, for some reason, they have to wait longer. Just be thankful it's not I medieval times. You hair. would have received worse. Uh, <laughs> so, so what, do, what do we think about this movie? Uh, I think it's a great movie. Actually, it was much better when your teeth weren't getting drilled on. Uh, I think the tagline may have been... Um, his crime nonconformity, or his only crime was nonconformity, or something like that. Oh, that, I didn't even know it had a tagline. I think it did. Uh, somebody will get that looked up for us as we continue our conversation. At any rate, uh, Which, well, and if that's true, uh, nonconformity—the definition of nonconformity—would have to be expanded to include uh, cutting the heads off of parking meters, which is where we find our protagonist in the first scene 
Yes, that's that's exactly the case. Actually, the tagline is, what we've got here is a failure to communicate, which is a very famous quote very from the movie. Line. Brady, you could probably do it best. Do the guy's voice. What we have here is a failure to communicate. That's yeah, very that's good. I'm not going to try to beat it. <laughs> it's not very good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, All right, but just to get things started, I will say that is a famous line. It's, uh, I think, pretty highly ranked on AFI's quote list, and I'd heard about it. But something I was impressed about or I found interesting was I always expected the subject of that line to be, well, an authority figure, and the character is, but to be a very stern, maybe a very booming authority figure. And what's kind of perverse about the way it happens is the guy who says it, and you might have gleaned this from my terrible impression, kind of has more of a feminine, uh, unassuming vocal quality. It's true. I mean, he was kind of... Yeah, I don't really know what to call his character. His character was just—he starts off and he's like, "It's at the beginning when he's been, you know, arrested for cutting the heads off the parking meters, uh, which is kind of awesome, <laughs> actually." I have to, yeah, no, it I, is. I do have to think that if is. you're going to get arrested for something, cutting the heads off of parking meters, but two years in prison for cutting the heads off of parking meters because you're drunk—it was a different time. Actually, I really just. I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. There's a major plot hole there. I don't think you would get two years for that, would you? I, I have no idea, and I'm and I'm an attorney, I should say, and I have no idea. Yeah, and you wanted to be a criminal attorney. And, and then I wanted to be a criminal and couldn't <laughs> do that either. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I will say... I uh, did that well. I just never got caught. <laughs> uh, because I'd, I'd like to maybe draw some parallels with, uh, you know, movies... Uh, that have similar themes, and Cool Hand Luke deals a lot with themes of rebellion, also feelings of impotence, uh, dealing with with the man. You would I, say. I mean, I, th- I think it was instead of rebellion, it was just plain old nonconformity. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I'm rebelling specifically. Like he, you know, from the get go, he totally stood up. You know, did their rules. He did what he what he told them to, and the whole thing was that he just was this way, and. It didn't conform to their rules. He didn't rebel actively against their rules. Well, actually, no, he did at one point start doing that. Um, yeah. I've, and that, I that I thought was really important. Alert, okay, we, we'll get to that, but that's later. Um, yeah, a pretty pivotal event leads him to actually uh, break the rules of the prison system. Oh, I, I, think, I think in the terms of this podcast, since we're dealing with really classic films, at least thus so far, we're not just reviewing them. We're actually talking about the film. So okay, maybe so we should say that everybody should have seen this film to be listening to it unless they don't give a shit. All right. If <laughs> <laughs> All right. So me personally, I never give a shit about spoilers. It doesn't bother me. So it freaks me out when uh, like, as you know, my <laughs> longstanding run with your roommate, Ben Stein, about I can't I, apparently I can't even say um, like the first and second and third Game of Thrones books are good and that nothing happens in the fourth one. Oh, wait, sorry. If that bothers <laughs> else, anybody who listens to this, which, again, I think. We might have eight listeners. I think I, I, I was saying we would have one listener. If that listener is Ben, then we are now howling into the void. <laughs> I would say. Yeah, that's true. Um, we, we, so, yeah, maybe. we'll say ahead of time. That, okay. Uh, we're going to have to write like a spiel, which is like, welcome to the movies with Rob's couch, 
we sit on Rob's couch. Rob sits on a chair so that he can face Rob's couch. It's not even my couch. Because <laughs> it's considered to polite to make eye contact with yes. the couch. So that's the first half of the spiel. Um, I'll I'll punch that up, and maybe right. we'll write some copy. And, and then the second punchy. half is we're reviewing a classic movie uh, or a movie we feel will eventually be classic. If you haven't seen this movie, we're going to talk this shit all about it. <laughs> so... <laughs> My idea for the podcast was that every episode we would just review Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that might not work out too well because... Uh, no, we'll see. We'll see. Time yeah, will be next the time. judge. So anyway, movie opens. Cool Hand Luke's cutting the heads off the thing. It moves very quickly. He gets arrested and sentenced to while inebriated two years <laughs> <laughs> Brady, you can Dude. say this better, right? Because I'm inebriated. So while inebriated, two years well, to yeah, time have. Uh, he's yeah. <laughs> while inebriated, he is caught cutting the heads off of parking meters. The first shot we see is of a parking meter that says violation, which is pretty much, I would say, like the mantra in a sense, is that he is just yeah stands in complete contradiction. To rule systems, and that's largely a, a big thrust of what the movie's about. Uh, and as a result of that, he's sentenced to two years in what would you call it? A, a prison system, a, a chain gang. Yeah, it's like a chain gang, basically. And so he immediately just kind of tries to keep a low profile, but isn't given one because um, he's a war hero ish. He's got some medals and stuff. But they do note, which I didn't notice the first time when I was getting my teeth drilled, probably because the drill was really loud. I couldn't hear a lot of stuff that was going on. Um, I could just kind of see what was up. Um, but uh, he got, like, two purple hearts, like a, a iron cross or whatever the fuck. Yeah, like, that's right. And they, they note that he went in as a private and went out as a private. He never, he, despite getting all these medals and everything, he never um, got a higher rank. Which, uh, to me, like, having seen the movie at that point was very telling. That it was like, well, he was never able to conform, even back then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, his, so, yeah, then, uh, do, you, do you have anything to add at this point in the story? I uh, know, that's, that's what happens. Uh, and you're right. For, uh, I'd say the first half, even, maybe he keeps a very low profile. Uh, and, and this is where I think Paul Newman's a very invaluable presence for the role is he's able to keep a low profile while still kind of being able to suggest rebellion in it's a way. It's those piercing blue eyes. I mean, it's the eyes. They suggest rebellion. They also suggest seductive. Like any na name an emotion. Balsamic vinaigrette. Yeah, they <laughs> they suggest that too. Um, but I think it's really really good. He started with Thousand Island, and I, I did, did mention I think when we were watching the movie, I'm like Corora. <laughs> who's a guy that I listen to all the time. He's a podcaster. He's still doing a podcart, as uh, Brian Cranston said. Oh, by the way, Brian Cranston's in an upcoming X-Files episode. Well, not an upcoming one, but one... I, I'm re-watching all of them, and I will soon come upon an episode where Brian Cranston is in it. Oh, good. Um, which yeah, a fantastic actor. Yeah. You know who's a fantastic actor who's not going to be in X-Files? Corora. Paul Newman could be in... <laughs> I like how I called him Paul Newman. Paul Newman could be a new man in the X-Files. He's a bit of a dead man. Uh, your phone's over there. <laughs> Sorry, my phone just went off. So, 
Actually, I'd like to get back to something, though, that I was saying. Because one of the first characters we meet is... I don't even know if we get to know him by name. He's just the captain, which is also, I think, kind of interesting. Yeah, he's that, called Captain. That, uh, yeah, these... These authority figures are kind of faceless. Well, nobody has a name. Yeah. Well, uh, he's oh, that's the, true. actually, he's the only one who has a name. That's absolutely true. Uh, yeah. Even the prisoners, in fact, are known you don't by get their a name nicknames. until you blah 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 blah. And for him, it was Cool Hand uh, because he plays poker and he bluffs the guy. He has no no cards. Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Oh no no. Uh, so so yeah, one of the first characters we meet is this captain and. In everything he actually does, he is this imperious figure. He is the one who essentially holds Luke and all the other prisoners' fates in his hands. But uh, the decision is made to give him a very interesting, almost kind of lilting, high-pitched voice, uh, which in a way just makes him all the more scary because, (laughs) you know, he doesn't need to raise his voice. He doesn't need to be loud because he has all the control. And what it kind of made me think of is a movie with similar themes is uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and the Nurse Ratched character, a character who's more terrifying as an imperious bureaucratic authority figure because they talk in hushed tones. I'm a horrible person and I haven't seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, God. You got to see it. It's a great movie. When people say Nurse Ratched, I think of that Futurama episode where... There's a nurse, and she's Nurse Ratchet, and she has, like, a harpoon arm, and then she just goes, eh, 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 and ratchets it back. <laughs> she captures. No, I, I would have welcomed that in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> I think we could have found room for it. We, Milo Swarman and myself, that is. Uh, so, okay, so moving so, on. So, I, anyway, no, I think, um, okay, so I understand, you know, okay, if I'm in a very, that's an interesting way to put it. Um, I also think. I'm wondering if they're doing like a queer thing there because that was something that was big in the 50s and the 60s was to make the villains queer. Uh, he did kind of have that. I don't know. That's It's a good question. Uh, and if that is true, I think it it's completely in keeping with what the filmmakers are doing on the surface even uh, because it's it's essentially that they're playing with expectations for what an authority figure is supposed to sound like, I think. Right. No, I, I mean, that's cool. I, I, like, it's just something I bring up because I took that queer cinema class, and they talk a lot. Oh, I'm probably getting very faint because I'm getting far away from the mic. Um, they talk a lot about that sort of thing. Um, you know, like the really effeminate guy in... Oh, damn it, I can't remember what it's called. It's the one with the great what's-it, and... Kiss Me Deadly. Oh, and there's a movie I haven't seen. Yeah, that's a really effeminate villain. He's like, you slapped me. You would... (laughs) He's totally like that. He's like, you slapped me. You will regret this. And he's like fondling his cane the entire time. And it's supposed to be really deviant villain kind of guy. But anyway, um, so that was one thing I was thinking. Okay, wait. So so I'll say, we might as well, since we're on the subject of homoeroticism, I will say... There is an awful lot of homoeroticism uh, yes. in no this film. No playing grab with each other or you get put in the box. That was one of the rules. Was, this podcast is going to get crude, but yeah, I, I think at some point a character says one in the bush, one in the box. Um, <laughs> I didn't even think of that that way. Um, yeah, it's a good point. 
um, at any rate. Um, oh, yeah, so there's the fact that he was kind of effeminate. Eh, well, that's just a Hollywood movie thing. I don't actually know enough surrounding about this movie to know whether or not it was indie or Hollywood. Um, I don't either. I, I don't think the director is particularly famous. I think it's a movie that's more known for... Uh, Paul Newman. Paul, but, Newman. Uh, Paul Newman had yeah, but that Paul kind Newman of was Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid was uh, Robert Redford was in that starting. Oh no, I guess he didn't start the Sundance Film Festival at that point in time. He started it. I uh, probably not, and yeah. called it that because he was famous for that or something like that. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean. Yeah. And then you know Butch Cassidy had a a more famous director because he did The Sting. And right. And that kind of kickstarted where Redford and Newman. Okay, so here's the thing, though: is they 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 want they want Cool Hand Luke to be really conformist. They want him to conform, do this, do that, blah blah blah. Uh, we need you to do the rules, and, and he's already basically being thrown in jail simply for being a nonconformist and being like, "Fuck these parking meters," you know. <laughs> but um, uh, the thing, but they out him immediately. They like, they uh, they call him Lucas. To everybody else, nobody's supposed to have a name at this point in time. You're not supposed to have a name until you're given one in this prison camp, something one of the inmates says. Everybody else gets a nickname. Um, even his mom doesn't, he doesn't call her mom. He calls, uh, when she comes to visit, he calls her uh, Ar- Arletta. Arletta, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, immediately, though, they they make him already not conforming to it by outing him as a war hero. Yeah, and, no, I, and I so think it's that's like, well, true. what the fuck did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. I I really identify with this movie in general because I feel like I'm always kind of fucking. I'm a nonconformist. I totally am a nonconformist. I have a lot of ideas about the way things do. We do things are stupid, and we should just not do them that way. And people go like, "Well, you're just being a nonconformist." I'd be like, "Isn't that good thing? Is is isn't thing that good?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so, so yeah, nonconformity, that's an interesting issue to bring up, because this is a film in the 60s, which was a big, big, big time in American Have history. Have we said 67 yet? Yeah, 60, yeah. it was made in 1967. Uh, so this is pre-Easy Rider. This is pre-Easy Rider. Which was 69, which was really where American film starts to delve into those sort of... And I'd like to go into a, a brief tangent... And I'll ask you, have you seen The Graduate? Yes. What I find interesting is that these two movies... I downloaded that shit on video CD, <laughs> which I burned to a... Figured out how to burn DVDs onto CDRs before there were DVD burners. But anyway, go on. So what I find interesting is both these films came out in the same year. Uh, Graduate was nominated for Best Picture. Cool and Luke wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, I it, thought we were watching it because it was part of your... Oh, no, it it was just a, a notable one that I, I felt I really needed to for see. For those of I'm you who don't glad know, I did. Brady's been watching all the Oscar-nominated films since 1960. Yeah, that, that's correct. I started in 1960. Uh, it started with the Alamo, which, you know, I uh, it only had to go up from Dude, there. that was made in, like, 1999 or something like that. Uh, that. That was the Billy Bob Thornton one, and it was bad, and it was... Definitely better than the John Wayne one that was nominated for Best Picture because <laughs> the studio really? threw the, money. The Billy Bob Thornton one was better than the John w- Wayne one? It was. It w- absolutely was. What about Red River? Was that on your list? I haven't seen Red River. Okay, I've tangentially taken your tangent off at the tangent to the cosine to the 
That's what tangents do. Sokotoa, man. Anyway, where were you? Okay, so one thing I'd like to to raise, just because it's interesting, because like we're talking about two of the biggest, most influential films about nonconformity made and made in the height of a nonconformist decade, is The Graduate uh, kind of starts, in fact, like Cool Hand Luke, it deals with a lot of faceless, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very delusional adult authority figures who kind of are unable to completely understand the struggles that the younger people, or in the case of Cool Hand Luke, the prisoners, oh, are yeah. going They're through. Just, well, all, um, yeah, going to the graduate, um, all the authoritarian figures like the adults would be like, so what are you going to do now, son? Uh, da, da, da. Or, or Mrs. Robin, they're just as fucked up as he is. Like, he knows nothing. But they're like, you're fucked up, son. You just need to get derp And, like, they're just totally fucked up, and they don't yeah. know what they're doing either, but they feel like they're supposed to, so they say they know, and blah, blah, blah. But then, what's interesting to me is, I feel that at the end of The Graduate, what we get is sort of a recognition that, almost kind of a cynical idea that rebellion is kind of empty. Because it's about a character rebelling against these faceless adults, and we totally empathize with him that these people just don't understand him, they don't know what they're talking about, every bit of advice they give him really isn't helpful, and that's the same with Cool Hand Luke. But at the end of The Graduate, we get this very cynical revelation that eventually we become what we rebelled against, and our rebellion, in the end, didn't mean much. What did you think Cool Hand Luke had to say about rebellion? Well, I mean, Cool Hand Luke... Okay, Rebellion as opposed to nonconformity. Well, are we well nonconform? Let's say nonconformity too. Well, I no, mean, I like I like the idea of rebellion talking in that sense, especially like in relation to the graduate, because graduate was kind of about rebellion. Um, uh, it was also I kind just of nodded again. A, a lot, <laughs> a lot about isolation, etc. Um, that hence the use of uh, Simon and Garfunkel's and a doctor smile, friend. Um, anyway. Uh, the thing I feel is it's not necessarily uh, rebellion and being becoming what you were attempting to not or, you know, to rebel against in Cool Hand Luke. In Cool Hand Luke, it's like the other way around. It's the power structure that's infringing upon you eventually uh, creates you what they are trying to stop from you being. <laughs> that is the most roundabout way to phrase that. They're trying to stop you from being a thing. And you end up being that thing specifically because they're trying to stop you doing that. And it's uh, interesting that when you say faceless, identityless, uh, all this stuff, the only person who has identity on their side is Captain. And he's just a captain, so he doesn't have that much of an identity. And then you get, have this kind of pyra- pyramid structure. So you have the captain at the top. He's the one dude. And then you right. have like three or four guys who they all call boss, right? And it's just boss Dean, boss whatever the hell. Yeah, it's also right. interesting because it so erases identity even further. Yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, they're better than the prisoners because they're not prisoners. They're free men, but um, they're also basically in the same boat as the prisoners. And actually, some of them start to identify with Luke and as he turns the tide and, and kind of inspires these guys in the prison, even some of the bosses are all like, you know, down with Luke, right? And then, like, then you've got right. then you've got all the people who aren't free, uh, who are anonymous, but there's more of them, 
first of all, it's it's always this weird power structure. It's like there's one guy, and then there's four guys, and then there's like a bunch of guys, and the bunch of guys is where they're. But if the bunch of guys just went like fuck it, and just like you know, went like <laughs> we're all gonna hit you with our rakes or our cutting blades, like it'd be over, right? Right. Um. So that's always weird, because. They're always keeping themselves in line where if they really just wanted to, they could all be like, hey, guys, why don't we just jump these fuckers? Um, so there's a certain amount of that is that they're creating the conformity in themselves. Actually, no, I guess that's exactly what they're trying to do um, <laughs> as being the guards. But you know what I'm saying. Um, but throughout this, they created Luke, who basically – oh, I guess that should be on because yeah, yeah. Um They've created Luke, who is exactly what they're trying not to create. Is some They're trying to create somebody who conforms, but by having the structure that they have where the captain's faceless, the bosses are faceless, and everybody else is faceless until they earn their due, they've created this one guy who everyone can rally about except for maybe the captain because he's jealous of the fact that he has more identity than he does. Yeah, and th- actually that's something interesting that I'd, I want to talk about just before I forget it is for I feel the first half of this movie is very quiet, and and you're right, it isn't really rebellion. Luke is a nonconformist at the beginning, and he's a nonconformist at the end. But the first half is more quiet. He attracts attention, particularly from uh, the the one the prisoners call the man with no eyes. But it's the first half of the movie has its more lighthearted scenes. It has the egg scene. It has you know scenes where we get to know Luke as a nonconformist. But it's not until the second half that the movie, well, we can say this since we're spoiler-free, or no, no, spoiler-full, spoiler full, yeah. uh, eventually veers into tragedy. And the reason for that is that Luke is, in a sense, forced into rebellion. In fact, I would argue that the movie kicks up from nonconformity into rebellion because of one act of uh, essentially preemptive paranoid injustice on the part of oh, the yeah. prison Oh, yeah, as system. soon as they put him in the box. Like, uh, okay, there's this place called The Box, which is basically solitary confinement. It's like three by three by six feet tall, so you can't lie down. Um, that's one of their punishments. That's the thing that they go through. Like, you're you're fighting outside of Saturday. You get put in the box. You're, you know, you're playing ass grab when you shouldn't. <laughs> Apparently, there is a time to play ass grab. Um, you get time. put in the box. <laughs> I'll grab your hands I will. I don't know. <laughs> you, just, you just watch your tone. There, there I'll, I'll is a season. I'll ask grab. Um, uh, <laughs> let me see. Uh, there's a bunch of rules. You get put in the box. So anyway, Luke gets put in the box because his mom dies. But it's not his mom. Yeah, absolutely. Arletta. 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 Who's he gets smoker. put in the box. I think absent. she dies from lung cancer. <laughs> I assumed, actually. That's She's smoking funny. that cigarette like a joint, too. And nothing left to lose at that point. <laughs> right. But he, yeah, he gets put in the box absent any wrongdoing. Right. Yeah, he didn't do anything wrong. And as soon as that happens, then he's like, well, fuck it. Like, I'm not even going to try and play their game anymore. I'm going to run. But, I mean, there is a certain point. You start to feel um, like maybe he was planning this the whole time. Like, at, at a certain point when I was watching it this time, I went like, did he do the 50 eggs thing so that he could basically get enough protein like, I, I originally thought he said 50 eggs because there's 50 prisoners, and maybe when they get eggs, each prisoner gets one egg, and they're so far. And then I was like, did he do that till he get enough protein so that he would, like, be able to run for, like, a couple days without getting a, a meal? And, and oh, That's an interesting and, point. But, I mean, then there's a part later where he says, like, you planned this all, like, you know, it's basically, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, 
Dragline. Dragline. The big guy who, like, finally takes a shine to him after um, he beats the crap out of Luke, and Luke just won't stay down. Um, and actually, that is that is the first part where we start getting Christ-like imagery, by the way. Right. Turn the other cheek. I mean, he was hitting him, but he was kind of like, well, I'm not going to just stand here and let you ignore me. I'm going to stay here, and you have to keep hitting me. Anyway, I'm getting tangentially aside. But I, I was starting to think that he planned it. And at one point, Dragline says, did you plan all this? You planned all this. And he goes, like, I haven't planned a thing in my life. Um, which I think is really telling of when you say nonconformity or when you say rebellion, what, what he's really rebelling against. Because our society is kind of like, you should do this. You should do that. Like, you have to think about – you have to his, – his mom even wanted him to, like – get settled down with a woman, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. You have to do this. And all the people who are in prison are the people who don't do that. And it doesn't even matter if you're a bad person. Uh, I mean, obviously, some of them are murderers. Some of them are rare. Uh, I bet you Dragline was a rapist. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's always like going like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> like, uh, that scene was a bit... Uh, yeah, hot and heavy. Yeah, well, he's he's just really into the hot and heavy, and he apparently can't read. Not to say that rapists can't read, but it doesn't doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> Literacy helps. <laughs> Literacy helps. Not being able to not read does not help you. Um, so anyway, my thought with all of that <laughs> was very coherent until it came out of my mouth. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, okay, so... Brady, make it I'll, coherent. I'll, <laughs> make it coherent. <laughs> I don't know if I can make anything we say coherent, but I, I will say that I think it's interesting what you said about the eggs, because if there's anything Paul Newman is good for, and I've really begun to appreciate him he for this... He can eat 50 eggs. Um, <laughs> he can eat 50 eggs. Um, no, is is he has a, a very subtle... Uh, he has an ability to suggest uh, ambiguity, and, you know, he uses that very well in movies like The Hustler and HUD. So as to the uh, the question of was he actually planning to run all along, like what is he thinking, Paul Newman plays it very close to the vest, I think, and we never really know. I mean, he's a I, very I think opaque we know character. When he tells Dragline, though. I think we believe him when he speaks, but he spends a lot of this movie not speaking. A lot of it's communicated through subtle smiles, just little winks. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Heston kind of just top muscle sort of damn it all to hell <laughs> kind of stuff going on too. And I, I think it's to the movie's um, betterment that 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 ambiguity exists. But I will say, if you put it to me, I think the movie, uh, the tragedy of the movie, because the movie is a tragedy much more than I even realized. And truthfully, I knew he died at the end, uh, but I I was even expecting more uplift than this story, I think, has to provide. Uh, I think the tragedy is more potent when the answer is that, no, he wasn't planning to escape. And it is that failure to communicate. Just a stupid move on the part of the prison system when his mother dies to put him in the box just to make sure he doesn't run back to the funeral to basically stigmatize an innocent man oh, who yeah. hasn't done anything. I mean, it was stupid. And that sends him into rebellion. Yeah, it was stupid to say he was a war hero, and it was stupid to single him out by putting him in the box when he didn't do anything wrong. Like, I mean, you can't... <laughs> there's obvious, complete fault on their end that they caused exactly what they were trying not to cause. And, yeah, Luke kept running, but 
I mean, okay, so in all in all, he runs three times. After he runs the second time, they basically break him. They start making him dig a ditch and then fill it back in and are just acting like he's doing the wrong thing all the time. And, um, he, he, you know, he just breaks down and says, please don't hurt, hurt me no more. And everybody thought he was acting. Uh, well, not everybody. Dragline thought he was acting after he, the next day, he, <laughs> he basically steals all the keys to all the trucks and just drives away after being kind of an Uncle Tom, uh, inmate. Uh, I don't mean that he's black. I just mean that he's, uh, it's probably an inept analogy if we're going to put this on iTunes. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm already, <laughs> I, I knew this was going to happen. I'm already, uh, getting myself into trouble with, r- I don't think. I don't even think I he think owns a cabin. I don't. <laughs> I don't think a it, box. I mean, He's it's obviously a, a racial thing. Uncle to Tom's say. box. He, he, All of this needs. Okay, to Okay, let's put it that. this way: he is <laughs> he is to the uh, obedient inmates as Uncle Tom's are. I mean, no, he is to the rebellious inmate as an Uncle Tom is to. Uh, shit, I don't. There's. I'm going to run from this analogy. <laughs> no, no. It's, obviously, it's uncomfortable. I think you know what I was trying to say. I, no, no. It's, a, it's an uncomfortable analogy, but I think it's it's also Warranted. uncomfortable you in the film. You were being really like, like, all right, boss. Okay, boss. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, like, like, just like a fucking lap dog. That's, okay, that's a better analogy. I'm not saying black people are like lap dogs. <laughs> That, that is going to get another, so much trouble. Because in that podcast. same scene, he's asked to uh, fetch a dead animal that uh, one of the guards shoots. Right. That's true. <laughs> he's like that freaking dog in Duck Hunt that, like, laughs at you. Except yeah. he stopped laughing and started just being an obedient dog. And then they shot him. Well, mm. actually, it's just because he... Why did they shoot him? I, I mean, I, did they shoot him because they said they were going to shoot him, and he just was being incoherent? I think they. I think that's what the film's building towards: is they shot him because uh, they couldn't deal with him. Yeah, it's, it was just clear at that point. The movie is an escalation, and this is what I really like about Newman's performance. I think before the event that sends Newman into a rebellious state, what we're still seeing, what makes those scenes more than just entertaining to me, is. We can clearly see who he is. He's a man who doesn't suffer fools. And all that's happened at that point is he hasn't been pushed. But we can see that he's the kind of person that if he ever is pushed, he will rebel. And when it happens, I think the tragedy is that it's inevitable. And we've probably been able to see it all along in the way he comports himself. Yeah, I would go with that. So the reason he eventually gets shot is I, I think... He knows who he is, and they know who he is. He'll never stop running. He makes his one attempt to play essentially a deferential manslave role to the establishment. And when that ends in him stealing a car, it's the final straw that, no, he will never actually acquiesce. Right. No, no, you're going to have to kill me. Yeah. He's a rabid dog That's, to and, them. And I mean, I, I think, yeah, the idea... I, I understand that that is, like, basically... A microcosm of what the symbolism, and that's why I like movies that are really well put together like this. And what I don't, I think we don't see, um, there are movies that I, Scorsese usually does a good job of of having a little message in there, um, but we don't see it that much anymore. 
like the the idea that this prison system is a, m a microcosm of our overall society, and that people who are nonconformists, um, if they're nonconformists to a fault, will get put down. Like you, uh, you'll probably get shot, or you'll get um, put in prison, mm -hmm. where you might get killed. Or like I, w I would not survive in prison because I would say the wrong thing to the wrong guy and probably get yeah, we're, killed. We're, <laughs> we're too pretty. <laughs> I'm too pretty for prison. Yeah, I am kind of a twink. Um, Twinkies, you can't get them anymore. You can actually. You can. They're back. They're yeah. back. Yeah. But they're slightly smaller. Well, now that they're back, so. I don't miss them anymore. <laughs> well, so uh, you know, since we used to eat what like people used to eat two of them, now they'll just eat eight. Because they're smaller. Oh, or that's interesting. Uh, maybe. See, I, I, I feel. Th doesn't that mean you're getting more bread and less cream? If if you're having small, I don't know. I know that. <laughs> I, no, I don't. Bush. I don't know anything. <laughs> There's one in the box and one in the bush, Brady. <laughs> one, one Twinkie in the box. Forty. The other one's in the bush. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to be back to close up, maybe debate about what our next movie will be after this little break. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, Rob here. Let's just doing the post-production on this episode, number one, the very first, of um, Carnivorous Film Couch, which is now what it's been called. Uh, we didn't know when we recorded it, but we know now. Um Noticing we didn't mention any of the Christ-like imagery in Cool Hand Luke, which is kind of a big thing. There's a lot of crosses, a lot of stuff to talk about there. So uh, we'll be taking a little sidebar next time um, and, you know, addressing that because uh, something we don't really want to skip. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully you'll be listening to our next podcast as well. Thanks. Bye. We are back. Um, the dog's with us now. Uh, he probably wants to pick a movie. No? All right. This, is, this can be the most annoying dog if uh, somebody is outside. The dog's more of a mini-series <laughs> dog. Yeah, Ben's watching mini-series. Archie. We've got our, uh, what, apple vodka and sun kiss that Grandy has left behind. We need to start having yeah. guests. Yeah, that's what we need to do. That's what we need. We need yeah. guests. Well, Chonk can be a guest. Um, Legrand. I'm sick of us Being already. <laughs> um, lots of, yeah, guests are probably a good good way to go. Um, anyway, movies for next time. Anything you haven't seen that you think you should see? Is, it should be stuff that we haven't seen or stuff that one of us seen? Oh, okay. So, well, so uh, as Rob mentioned, I'm trying to watch kind of chronologically. So I'm trying to pick up things from 1967. I will say one that I'm very excited. In fact, I've been excited for years to eventually see this is the uh, film treatment of Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Mm. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I'd, I'd kind of like to do Easy Rider uh, following the nonconformity streak. Uh, that's true. Uh, indie sort of thing. Easy Rider's uh, oh, no, wait, I need Dennis to say Hopper. this over here by the mic. Uh, well, yes, Dennis Hopper's an easy rider. I want to do easy rider. That was what I was going to say, uh, but nobody heard it because I was over here. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy rider. Uh, we could do that next, although you will get to that soon anyway 
because uh, 69 he probably, Best Picture winner? He, uh, no, not Best Picture winner. That was uh, Midnight Cowboy one. Oh, Midnight Cowboy. That's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah no, I'll, no, we'll I'll get do to Midnight that. Cowboy when we get to it. I think we should do these. Easy Rider? I mean, I, I can be persuaded. Uh, yeah, no, I... I'm also going to watch The Jungle Book again soon. Oh, yeah? Was that nominated? No, not at all. It, it wasn't nominated for a damn thing. Or maybe Best Song. Maybe it, Bare Necessities. Okay, Quick question. Jungle Book or Tailspin? Um, You know, I never watched enough of Tailspin. I'm Tailspin. probably going to say Jungle Book. Tailspin. The only one I remember from Tailspin, uh, there's two. One is with the flying monkey city in the sky with the monkey mechanics. And the other one is where, um, what's his name? Kit? What's that little freaking? I think it is Kit. Yeah, I think it's Kit. He's like a bear with yeah, a the little bear. surfboard. Yeah. Sky surfboard. Yeah, Sky Surfer Kit, dude. Um, he teaches Baloo how to do math by just showing Baloo that he knows math all the time because he's a pilot. And when he, like, you know, he'll, like, push the the stick down and the plane will mm-hmm. nosedive and go and it's like oh my god we just lost 2400 feet and it's just like see you can do subtraction <laughs> and then Baloo teaches Kit how to love sorry Brady you gotta wait till episode 2 for the pedophile jokes alright we <laughs> <laughs> we lost another negative sponsor with that one <laughs> Oh, we should just get Sweetberry Wine to sponsor us, like TBTL. Yeah, what about what? What about Sweetberry Wine? <laughs> What's the thing? Vines? No, it's totally Sweet George C. Scott um, doing that. Anyway, <laughs> oh, Wild we, Vines. When we get, yeah, when we get some of that Wild Vines yeah, money, because then we don't need to get Mangria from Adam Carora, because um, Wild Vines taste exactly like Mangria. But we would take either one. Actually, yeah. Why don't you, the listeners, give us some wild vines or mangria? Here's an idea. If you're a listener, uh, send us in a suggestion and a bottle of wild vines. No, no, wait. Oh, to you, our Twitter. You cheap bastards, a six-pack of no, wild they vines. They should tweet us to our Twitter handle, and which our Twitter handle is we don't even know what we're called yet. Yeah. That's At we don't correct. even know what we're called yet. Correct. <laughs> but... <laughs> If Wait. you send us a six-pack of Wild Vines, we will review whatever movie you say. Wild Vines come in six-packs. We will do a Godfather and Britney Spears' Crossroads double feature and compare them scene by scene if you send us a six-pack of Wild Vines. And that is an ironclad promise. Okay, wait, hold on. Let me see if we can get We Don't Know What We're Called Yet. We, uh, oh, I need to, shit. Man, this is dead time. This is dead air. Bad pod. Bad pod. <laughs> I, I I don't think I can do that on my phone because I'm already logged in as me, and then you have to log. Oh, I have to log out. It's okay. Ted. Brady, keep talking. Talk about. Let's okay. talk about the. So dog. wait, are we doing Easy Rider, or do we have other ideas of what we could do? If you want to do Easy Rider, I am what about game. The men who stare at goats. You know, I did not really care for the men who stare at goats. Okay, they were just talking about seeing that over yawn. No, it's fine. It's it's fun, but it's I. I I saw it with friends in San Francisco. I got to see a sneak premiere uh, screening, which was fun. Uh, and the movie the movie was just okay. Uh, do you see any movies in the theater? Actually, we should do a quick segment where you give me a little review of some, or like one of us does at least. I haven't seen shit, so. I think I've seen five movies in theaters <laughs> this year. Um, this year? Yeah. 
this entire year. Wait a minute. You're usually the guy who sees a lot of movies in the theater. Uh, some years are backloaded. I think this is one of them. But that's... Well, okay, for one thing, Fruitvale Station has been out for a while. It's supposed to be amazing. Jitterbug. I need to see that. The Oscar Grant movie, Fruitvale oh, right, Station. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see that. Um, okay, what have I seen? I've seen a lot of documentaries, or three. By a lot, I mean three. <laughs> uh, I have seen... Yeah, you've only seen five movies, so... <laughs> I've seen a band called Death, which kind of follows in the footsteps of last year's Searching for Sugar Man. It's about a little-known um, Detroit-based... Uh, group of uh, african-american brothers who basically made like i think it was like prog rock and so the album is about them finally getting recognition late in their career uh it's nowhere near as good as searching for sugar man but still worth checking out uh i saw room 237 which is a documentary about crazy film people like rob and myself who overanalyzed the shining uh and some of the theories what are, happens to them nothing they just say what the shining's about some of them are total cockamamie bullshit, but it's still interesting enough. Uh, I saw Star Trek with my girlfriend. I quite liked it. She did more than that. I I saw Star. Yeah, I like Star Trek. Well, I, I, like I mean, it. I, it, it's not as good as the first one. I don't think it's not as good as the first one. Or it's kind of not Star Trek. Too. It's kind of more Star Wars. Star Wars. That, well, that's interesting. Well, I mean, because. Okay, maybe we'll watch it sometime. But okay, uh, oh, the dog farted. <laughs> the dog farted. That's that's the fourth documentary that I saw. <laughs> no, no, that was my review of Star Trek. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I did like it, but I was really pissed off after J.J. Abrams was on John Stewart, and he's like, mm -hmm. "When I grew up, I didn't even really like Star Trek, and I just." You know, it was too philosophical and this and that and the other and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, that's the whole point. It's supposed to be like a moral dilemma situation and brr. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I just tried to make more of an action movie. I'm like, dude, you should have said, I do not want to make the Star Trek movies. Then when they asked you, you should have said no, because I prefer to make Lost. Oh, by the way, uh, Cool Hand Luke. Calls it everybody boss because he has to. Sawyer and Lost, when he's in the prison cage, direct homage. I thought about it. I, I am with you. I agree. Okay. And then also the sunglasses thing in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah. very, very yeah. direct homage. Yeah, direct homage. Uh, yeah, so what very. are we doing next week? Oh, Oh wait, but let me say two more because <laughs> if I don't say... I, I saw two more movies this year, oh, that's right. yeah, and yeah. one of them is amazing, and... I think this year is going to be so good that it won't get a Best Picture nomination, which is a shame because we do food for all the Best Picture nominees. And if this gets it, I can make Dolmas, which will be great. But, uh, oh, but okay. What, I saw another documentary called Sound City. It's about this long defunct now uh, studio. It's the studio that recorded Nevermind. It did albums for Fleetwood Mac. And it was like it's all about. Portland? Um, oh, no. It's in Van Nuys, actually. It's in Van Nuys. Uh, yeah. Down near L.A. Down to the valley. That's so, you know, Southern California. The valley, once upon place. a time, had something to recommend itself with other than born. And this was it. Uh, the Adam Corora so, podcast. <laughs> Let's see. It's their rebuilding. Aurora. It's time to rebuild. Um, but, okay. So that's that's a good documentary. But I will say the one 
absolutely fantastic unqualified masterpiece of the year is before midnight the third and i'm hoping final i haven't follow seen up any of the before this or that uh, they're great okay. they're amazing uh it's great it's the easily the wisest thing i've seen about relationships since annie hall uh you should really check it out it takes place in greece it gets the best picture nomination i'm making greek food at my oscar party and everyone's invited and I have seen. I saw Star Trek. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It was fun. Uh, Simon Pegg. I saw. I saw oh, you know what? I saw the Django World's End. Oh, oh yeah, World's End. World's End, and we saw that together. Uh, Django Unchained was this year. No, that was last year. That was last year. Shit, I really haven't seen much. Maddie and I wanted to. See, oh, I saw World War Z. How was it? I liked it. I was I was good with World War Z. I know um, it kind of suffered in long. production hell for like two years. A little long. Um, but no, a very good zombie movie, very good feel to it. Like, I went and saw it actually on Bald Brian's recommendation from the Adam Cabrera show. Bald uh, Brian? Bald Brian, yeah. He's this I bald dude about... named Brian. Um, Is that like Brian Posehn or? No, nah, it's nah. the sound guy. I don't know, or okay. no, it's the uh, sound effects guy. His name's Bald Brian. Okay. He had a brain tumor, so he had chemotherapy and he was bald, but I guess he was bald before that, like at age 14, like our good mutual friend Ethan. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, World War Z. <laughs> Saw that. Uh The Brad Pitt. Yes. I, I swear to God I've seen some other stuff, Quiet Dog. Um Err. I swear to God I'd gone to a movie by myself or something. No, I guess not. I used to do that all the time. What do you think of the world then? Hey, uh, 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 we're just going to review the world's end, so if you don't, don't want it spoiled <laughs> for you, Murphy. All right. Uh, no, no. I, I, I thought it was really good. I still need to sort my feelings out because, honestly, what we did with the movie was we tried to mirror its plot by doing a pub crawl to the movie. I was pretty inebriated for the entirety of it, but I do remember it, and uh, it's it's fantastic. It's easily worthy of standing up with Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. It's probably... It could at least be like in the top two of that. I love Shaun of the Dead, but I've never seen Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is great. Yeah, it's fun if you like uh, cheesy action movies. It's. Uh, I guess I do like cheesy action movies. I grew up on John Woo. If you like John Woo, you got to see Hot Directed Woo. <laughs> as my girlfriend says. Yes. His girlfriend. Which, as The Simpsons said before that, but. Oh, did they? Oh yeah, we're we're gonna have to get into that whole backstory stuff. It'll be great. It'll be like this thing that people can write fanfic about. Maybe, maybe that'll be our thing. Movie discussions that just devolve into personal histories <laughs> that no one knows about. Yeah, that'll be, <laughs> be good. Yeah. All right. I think we can... Well, no, we we got to say definitively what we're doing next week. If you say Easy Rider... All right, um, we're doing Easy Rider I'm next I'm Dennis week. Hopper. And uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not Dennis Hopper. That's, uh, that's George Barnett. But I'm taller. Wait, do, wait, give me your best Dennis. Okay, we got to do quick Dennis, Hopper, Dennis that, best Dennis Hopper impression. Uh, well, well, my favorite scene in all of movies is him in True Romance with Walken. Oh, um, yeah. Like, uh, he's just like, y- you know, uh, why don't I have one of them Jesse Fields now? Mm-hmm, something like that. Yeah, no, that's good. You want to give me one of them Jesse Fields? No, that's getting kind of Brooklyn. Um, I, I, I still think of Speed. I grew up on Speed. Like, you know, Jack, because I'm, I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than you. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, oh, one of these days we'll be able to do a, a, a Kytel. 
Nobody can do a Kaito. I, I this, don't know. There's, the, there's, the, there's the wife, and the wife is riding the bike. Uh, she's riding the <laughs> bike up to the goddamn house. <laughs> How about you, Lash LaRue? You think you can keep your spurs from jingling and jangling? Yeah, try and do a line that he didn't do, though. I can't. <laughs> but I, I saw, I, I've seen, like, literally one hand's worth of celebrities in my day. And uh, I saw Harvey Keitel in New York when I was 16. And he uh, he looked really beat up. <laughs> he was standing in front of a Broadway show. And, and, but that's, see, that's good, though. That's how I want to imagine Harvey Keitel looking. He's just like his face. Like beat to hell. His face went through a Cuisinart, and that's he did not disappoint. And he was smoking a cigarette too. Right on. Okay, well, so we're gonna do Easy Rider next time, yep. and this is called. What the hell did we decide we're calling this podcast? No, we we basically Movies looked on around Rob's the couch room. It's not actually we, Rob's couch, but eating better. Respect the couch. Respect the couch. I, I gotta say, the dog is a shitty guest. Let's never have him back. <laughs> He's terrible, Pip. Yeah, I tried to put him up to the mic, but he didn't make any noise, and I'm really scared that I don't have any signal on, like, half the show. Okay. That would be bad. Um, Rob, Brady, signing off. Uh, catch a, what the fuck we're called now. Uh, j- at the Twitter, we don't have a name yet. At we don't have a name yet. That will be our Twitter handle for now. Mm-hmm. And indeed, see uh, tomorrow's later. Monday. Enjoy the week. <laughs> Carnivorous couch. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. <laughs> <laughs>